It's the holidays, and I am putting a dark twist on an old classic from this channel. And that's all coming up right now. Welcome to Big Monster Brewing. I am Matt, and this episode is going to be a little different this time around. First, let's talk about what this episode is brewing, and this is the annual brew of my holiday ale. And in the past, I brewed it for the Seinfeld, fictitious, and famous holiday Festivus, and I called it Feats of Strength. This is almost the same beer, but with a bit of a dark twist. I am adding a good amount of dark malts to the mash before sparging to get this closer to a black beer in color this year. And I've also added some roasted malts to the mash to give a little bit of that toast roast, maybe even close to coffee additional flavor to add to the complexity of this. Now we're going to talk more about the recipe in a lot of detail soon, but for the episode itself, I started off saying this one's going to be a little different and this it's out of the norm this time and at least up until this point if you've been listening to this series since its return and basically since i've started you know that the format has been an introduction the recordings of a brew day any post brew day recordings and then back into the studio for tasting well some brew days i'm just not able to record as i go and there can be a lot of different reasons for that Uh, most times the situation is I'm, I'm pressed for time and every second counts and there's no real time to stop and record what's happening. Sometimes there's other people in the house and I'm a little self-conscious about talking to myself and to my brew kettle while there's other people in the room while I'm brewing. Regardless of all that, the brew day recordings have been an essential piece of documentation in my brewing process as I go along. And when I thought about it, there's really nothing stopping me from sharing the notes of that process post-brew day in the studio while the notes are still fresh in my mind and thoughts and ideas of what I could have, would have, should have, or what I really liked that I did can be recorded. So I'm going to do something different this episode. I am going to recap the idea of this beer, talk about the recipe, Then I'm going to talk about the brew day and everything else I did to get this beer to the tasting that I'll also be doing right here in the studio. I'm not going to change this format for the entire series. I'll I'll still be doing live brew day recordings, but for those beers, when I'm not able to record during brewing, and especially when it's a new style I haven't covered on this channel or return to a style I haven't covered in years, I'm still going to be sharing my brew days this way. To keep the episodes coming and to get some notes and thoughts recorded that I can go back to. And also along the lines of that, I do have a lot of brewing in the pipeline to talk about. So it should help keep this series alive much better than it has in the past when I only relied on those brew day recordings. We'll see. We'll see. That is my hope. And that is also my plan. So let's talk about what I'm brewing and why I'm brewing this beer. So first of all, It's a holiday tradition for me to make something for the holidays. Another big motivator in this is that my club, my brew club, Brewers Anonymous in Orlando, Florida, we do a 12 beers of Christmas trade every year. It's where we get 12 brewers together and we each swap a bottle. So we have 12 beers to talk about starting on the 13th, going all the way to Christmas Eve. And I made one. Um, <laughs> and it's a, at first, at first, okay, 
um, to preface this, I guess, I, they're probably going to get a long, just gonna, this, is, this new format really lends to a lot of side stories. But the first one I made at first taste, like when I measured its final gravity and I took that sample and tasted it, there's something a little funky about it. There's something I didn't like. Actually, I can I'll tell you exactly what it is. I don't know if this is something a lot of people can relate to. But up until this year, and after the first year of the Galaxy Hop Crop, Galaxy has left this really weird, almost, I don't want to say accurate, but that's a little too strong, but I don't know what else word to use. A very undesirable, I can't even really say unpleasant, a very undesirable taste in beers I've used it in. And I didn't use any Galaxy in this beer, but that, that taste was present. I'm like, oh... No, this beer that I made for the 12 Beers of Christmas swap is going to be putrid. And I cannot give that to 11 other fellow brewers whom I <laughs> respect their opinions of. So, I scramble to make a second beer. And I made one based after a recipe that I know is, is good. I was going to say a winner. I don't know if this would win any, any contest because it is it's spice heavy and, and spice beers tend to you look for a balance when you judge them but it's a it's a drinkable beer an enjoyable beer especially in the holidays so i decided to do that another hurdle or obstacle or whatever you want to call it thrown into the mix of this my parents were about to arrive the next day that i <laughs> tasted the day after i just tasted the beer i was unhappy with and the day i decided to make this beer so I had to, I had to, scramble is a word, but brew faster than I ever brewed in my life. And I didn't even really cut any corners on time. I might have skated, like cut off maybe five minutes of the mash. I might have, and five minutes of the boil, but that's, I don't even think that's true. I think I went the whole mash and the full boil to make sure this beer was right. But getting stuff from point A to point B to C and clean everything up, I don't think I've ever moved as fast as I did in my life to get that done before my parents were here because I knew we we're going to be doing all kinds of things. It was, it was, this was to give you a time frame. This was the week of Thanksgiving. I believe no, the week, no week, week, sorry, week before Thanksgiving. So we're going to do a, do a lot of family things that just didn't necessarily do many, any really tourist things, but the big thing my parents like to do is go to restaurants and different local, um, businesses, uh, shops and, and eateries that they don't have at home. And that, that just takes you away from the house. So I was like, I need a beer. I can throw some yeast into, or some more. I need some wort first, some wort. I can throw some yeast into put in the refrigerator in my fermentation chamber and not worry about till they left. And this, this beer is it. I mean, if there's any other beer that needs no other babying until the day you keg it, it's this beer. So that's, that's what I did. So the change, the change I talked about, my first beer, which by the way, I don't even know if I have it in my notes. It came out fine. It's fine. It was initial. I think it was just a very young beer. It was a black IPA. And everyone, everyone, not only in the club, but everyone period in Orlando knows me for Halloween Horror Nights and Halloween. And of course, the Halloween presence news as has. Halloween is almost synonymous with me. So I wanted a black beer. And so I took... This beer, for the most part, I removed the brown malts and I put in some dark malts to give it a different character to match what it's going to look like. At least that's what I hope is going to happen. We're going to find that out and get it to a black color rather than its normal 
amber. It's a really rich amber color on its own. So I darkened it up. Same beer, sort of, couple changes, and stuck with that black motif and that's what people are going to expect from me on a holiday. So that's where that came from. And then the, the um, labels for both beers. And the, to wrap up that end of the story, because I don't believe it, ha- I have it in my notes. The name of the first beer, the Black IPA, was called Haunted Holidays. And I got a uh, AI generated from a Debbie Firefly image of a haunted house that was decorated, a dilapidated haunted mansion, basically. Not not the Disney one. I'm not going to comment on that. But a, a haunted mansion that was also decorated for Christmas. And it was it came out great. For this one, I ended up calling it Krampus Vortemspiel, which... Come from Google. It's the Google translation of Krampus pregame, and according to a reverse translation after that, it's Krampus before the game. I I'm relying on Google for that to be correct. I I don't know, but Krampus pregame was the idea because it's a fairly big beer for what it is, and I thought that's that gives me an opportunity to kind of stick in the horror realm in a sense, and that's what I did again. I I, I used. Uh, Adobe Firefly, which is my favorite thing that I own in Adobe Suite right now. And I made a picture of Krampus sitting on a log in a snowy forest, drinking a very large dark beer. It's it's great. That's a label I use for that. But that's what we're talking about in this episode. We're not talking about... Uh, actually, if you want to know more about Haunted Holidays, listen to my Black IPA uh, episode, because that's, that's the same recipe. So you have heard this. It just was a different name. I ended up calling it... These judges made a huge mistake as a competition beer. Now it was Haunted Holidays for this project. But back to Krampus Vortemspiel, which I, sure, I'm going to be saying that wrong. Let's talk about the beer. Let's talk about the recipe. So this is a two and a half gallon batch because I only needed 12, need 12 bottles, but I was like, I'm happy to have more. And I do have more kind of a spoiler alert on this. I've already bottled it so i i have more but i needed 12 for the project and two and a half gallons is plenty that's that's, uh, at worst i get 20 bottles maybe 20 18 19 cans definitely 20 cans all depends on how much it's foaming it's like the foam the foam loss on canning beer and homebrew is ridiculous but so i knew i was going to get the 12 12 plus that's what i wanted so two and a half gallons this is the recipe it's six pounds four ounces of pill mold that's the base Four ounces of Belgian specialty malt. That is kind of the all-round substitute for the caramel malt. It can be a very strong specialty malt on its own, but it works well with these spices. The spices tame it, and I think the Belgian specialty actually lifts the spices. It sweetens them. It keeps them from being a little too hot on the tongue, for lack of a better word. And I don't mean hot as in like... uh, um, like capsaicin hot, just kind of stinging the tongue, giving that sensation. I think the sweetness kind of kind of borders between the two. So that's why I've stuck with Special B on this one for a while. Uh, ounce and a half of Carafa 2, that does go into the mash. That is not just, that, that will help darken the beer, but that is not what is going to um, make it as dark as I want it to be. And another one ounce of roasted malt. In any <laughs> other brew, I probably or any other condition or circumstance, I'd probably want to put in some, maybe some roasted barley, maybe some roasted rye, maybe some chocolate malt, something, and and be able to put more in. Roasted malt is very dark and can be very astringent. Something like a chocolate malt or a chocolate i said roasted rye i meant chocolate rye or chocolate rye you can put more in and it gets less astringent but gives a roastier flavor 
I didn't have either of those. All I had was roasted malt. So I went very reserved on this because it can get very strong very quickly. And that's I that's the last thing I want is this thing to be like super stringent and even bordering on tannic just from one edition of a malt. So we'll see how that works out. Now to get that color up, I have almost um well not quite. I was gonna say double the craft. I don't, but I have 1.8 ounces of craft three in the sparge. Oh almost two ounces. And that sounds like a lot, but it's it's only gonna be touching the wart. I guess in this case, a sweet wort, because the hops and the hops won't be added yet. The sweet wort for 10, 15 minutes at most. I mean, 10 minutes during the, the sparge will probably take about 10 minutes and it'll settle before five. So I'd say like less or uh, 10 minutes, less, less than 11. I don't know why that number is so important to say, but it's, it's as opposed to every other, all the other malts I talked about that are going to be in contact with the, with the liquids for an hour, an hour plus, because it'll be also be, yeah, some will be, I don't want to get into the, <laughs> the um, semantic or not even semantics, but the uh, talking about water. I'm basically talking about liquid draining. I don't think I need to talk about that. So um, it's a lot, but it should add, I've been, this is something I've always, I've known about this technique for probably since I've been all grain brewing, or at least since I've been really delving into, I, I, take your your subsequent your 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 time to learn the process and then and then expand from there i think after i got the learn after the learning process i learned about this technique very quick and i the one time i used it it didn't really work out at all the way i wanted and it took me a while to revisit it but i've really relied on this method a lot this year especially for my it's a staple in my scottish yells now and it's also was part of my black IPA, both both the one I made for this project and the one I made for competition and will be. And and I think it will be for anything that I want to get as dark as I possibly can without that dark malt character. I think I'm going to continue to do this. So that's the mash. We have some boil additions too. These are fairly simple, but they're also very, there's three very specific things in here that I generally would not put in a beer. So First, I'm using CTZ hops or Columbus hops, depending on which farm you get them from. I'm using 0.2 ounces at 60 minutes and 0.2 ounces at 30 minutes. It's really not contributing that much flavor. It's giving some bitterness. It's really giving balance more than anything else. It's not a bitterness you're going to, to notice without looking for it. If you take a sip of it and really dissect what you're tasting, you should taste the bitterness as, again, as a balance rather than a, a characteristic. Now, this edition, this is... I, one day I am going to see what the difference is between uh, I'm using eight ounces. I should tell you what I what I'm doing before I get down that rabbit hole. I'm going to use eight ounces of Brunlager at ten minutes. Brunlager is the light version of a very fine dark sugar, Belgian dark sugar. It's kind of funny between this Belgian special B and the Belgian sugar. It is kind of working its way towards a Belgian dark ale, but technically not because of the yeast I use. But it's there's Brunlegger, and then I forget what the other one is. I don't know if it's Brun something or something Legger that indicates the dark version. Looking at them side by side with light brown sugar and dark brown sugar, I don't see a difference. I've never tasted them. I've never tasted them straight up to see if they taste different. One day, I, I'm going to get in a situation. I, I can tell this already. I was going to say, one day I'm going to test this out and find out. I don't think I need to test this out. I think one Christmas I am going to make this beer and realize I don't have Brunlegger and I can't get Brunlegger in time to make this beer and end up using light sugar. So I think that time will come before I know it, but I would like to know if there's really any taste difference. 
and I think the fermentability on these, I think the, um, the, uh, what's the word, the potential fermentability on these, I think are the same or relatively the same. I, I don't, like I said, I don't see much difference. I've never also, I'm for anyone that does know the difference, I'm probably being yelled at at their listening device right now. I've also never looked up to see how Brunlinger is made. I have a inkling of an idea how dark brown sugar or light brown sugar and dark brown sugar are made or how brown sugars are made from, I think probably from how did this get made back in the early aughts when that used to be on Discovery Channel. But I'm not sure that Brunlinger's done, done the same way. So there probably is different ingredients and maybe not different or similar methods, but different ingredients. I don't know. But like I said, I got a real feeling one day I'm going to brew myself in the corner after to use light brown sugar, and we're going to find out if it's worth tracking down Brunlinger or not. But that day is not today. So let's get back to still some overall additions. Um, fresh orange peel at five minutes. And during chilling, I don't remove it. Fresh orange peel has made a world of difference in this beer. I used to use sweet orange peel, dried sweet orange peel. That stuff, if you've ever seen it, is so chunky and so thick. There's so much pith on it. It's like there's more in this than I want to be touching the beer. I really just want the zest and the oils to be in this beer. So I ended up trying it with fresh orange peel. I think last year for the first time. I think it's the first time I tried it. Huge difference. Like tremendous difference. They were still, those beers were still in the same ballpark, but one one was a double and the other was a home run. If there's going to be a ballpark comparison in this, I think those, I think one was better than the other. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I'm pretty sure I got that right. So I use not only in this beer now, my Belgian wits, anything that needs orange peel. I, 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 I make, I, I say make it fresh, but I guess I peel it fresh. And I've now got the, sh- I think the sharpest tool in our kitchen right now is our peeler that thing i can take off a piece of orange zest and you can see through it you see and you just can see the oils oozing out of it it's such a great tool and it's 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 just made the tremendous difference when orange peel is called in to a to a beer so a little suggestion for everyone that's that's never done that and then final the final piece the thing that really makes this a holiday beer is the mulling spices and these mulling spices i have had I don't even know how long now. I had to look them up. It's it's I mean it's 0.15 ounce of mulling spice. That is it for two and a half gallons of beer. And that is all you need. It is so strong. And I looked it up. It's it's from Boise Salt Company. And I got it on Amazon. I got it three years ago now. And I still have a ton of it. And I don't believe it expires. Um, it's all dried, dried uh spices. So I think as long as I keep them dry. It's going to last a pretty long time. I do give it a good look at it. It's a, it's a clear package. I just make sure there's nothing funky in it. And you can never smell anything funky in it because it is so strong. I'm not even sure if it has the mix on here. Let me look. Um, oh, it does. Okay. So it has orange peel, which I do tend to take out most of the pieces of orange peel and leave in there's also it's it's orange peel cinnamon cloves and spice now here's the thing about taking out the orange peel most of the cinnamon well the cinnamon stuck to everything but it's really stuck to the orange peel because those are the biggest pieces in there so i'll weigh out like 0.15 of it that i need then i'll take about half of the the um orange peel now i'll keep doing that i'll keep taking out well I, I start picking the allspice and the clove at that point mainly allspice you don't want to put too much clove in but i'll start putting the allspice in and then if it if I'm like allspice heavy or a little clove heavy, then I'll put in a couple more of those orange peels. But there's so much freshness and so much oil coming out of that fresh orange zest that these these peels add nothing except the cinnamon that's stuck to them. 
And the reason I ended up buying this in the first place, it's one of the first uh, only, I should say. And I'm sure it's not the only, but when I was looking originally years ago, um, this is actually the second pack I bought. It's one of the few mulling spices that didn't have ginger in it. And one of the people that we end up sharing our holiday beers with another, another couple, the um, um, one of them is, is extremely allergic to ginger. So I, I've used this, love the results, never needed to look back. Even if I wanted, if I thought something was lacking, I don't, I don't think there's anything lacking. It's delicious. Unfortunately, it's not available right now. Um, I'm not sure if that's seasonal. It didn't, it doesn't say when it was sold out or well, um, I, I used the link. I looked at the link that was on my order history. So I'm going to see if it's just that entry that's not available and looking now i typed in boise salt company mulling spice i do not see it coming up but i see of course of course a ton of other mulling spice so there's similar ones i guess you could make it yourself as well but it's uh i'm not sure it's terribly expensive as opposed to buying the the spices individually so that's you know it's that is an entirely up to you situation if you're going to follow this. I'm looking at one now. That doesn't even say. I'm trying to find if there's just another one somewhere that has. Oh, here we go. Dried orange peel, allspice, cloves and cinnamon. Okay, first the first one I clicked on. It's the same same ingredient. So okay, it's it's that's a smulling spice. So really, I was just trying to avoid ginger, and I found this smulling spice. And clearly, there's other ones too. So I guess any smulling spice will probably do. Get one that get one that fits your taste profiles, your beer. So. Okay, wow, that was one of those side stories. I knew, I knew, I knew I'd go on in this this episode, and I don't think we're done yet. So, okay, yeast, that's the important thing here, because there, there is a, as you, you might, if you followed some of these episodes before, I have recordings of where I am propagating the yeast days before I'm brewing, and I decided the same night I tasted my first beer, I was going to make this. So how I, I did not only decided, but I brewed that same night. So I had to turn to dry yeast and I looked at, I got, I do have quite a library or inventory, I guess it's better to say of dry yeast. And normally I would use a British strain. Either house would probably be my, or that's, I say house, that's the Imperial brand. I think it's WLP 02 and 1098 Y yeast. Man, if that's right, I'll be impressed. I think that's what the strain is. If I don't have that, I'll go with Pub, which is Imperial Strain, WLP005 for White Labs, and 1968 for White Yeast. I know that's right. I can never forget 1968. I didn't have either, obviously, have time to do either of those. So I went with the closest dry yeast, which <laughs> ends up being told it's a substitute for both these strains, even though both those strains are distinctly different. It's Safel SO4 from Fermentis, but considering how much flavor is going to be coming out of the malts and even more so the mulling spices, the yeast character didn't really matter that much. Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a yeast or make a difference. Probably a Belgian yeast. Obviously that would definitely, there would, a Belgian character, a uh, Belgian character from a Belgian yeast would come out in this, but I, I am hard pressed to think of too many other yeasts that would make as big an impact. So really anything that I had that was clean fermenting, uh, quick, <laughs> at least at least two weeks uh, uh, or shorter is really all I was looking for, and and this was this fit the bill just fine. I had a full pack. Full packs are usually for five gallons, but so I had more than I needed. I was good to go. So now 
that actually brings us to brew day. And that night, I don't think I ever had a more perfect brew ever. Everything, everything went perfectly. And I think I was done in record time. I, I remember telling my wife, like, I can't believe I just did all this in X amount of hours. And I, I don't remember what that number was, but it was really small. I want to say four. I think it was less. I think I said like three, three hours and 50 minutes. Fastest brew I've ever done. I, of course, use the Anvil Foundry, the six and a half gallon one. And I, when I got everything cooled, chilled into the fermenter, um, I pitched that entire pack of yeast. I wasn't entirely sure. My only question about that yeast was, I don't know how long I had it. So I don't know what its viability was. What I should have done in hindsight is, is rehydrated it just to make sure it's viable. And then if that didn't work, grab, you know, whatever I had next. I actually had two packs of this. So I could have tried two. I have some of the dry yeast that again, are not going to contribute a whole lot of flavor, but, but give me the fermentation I want. But luckily, luckily, well, it was viable. It's more than viable. We're going to talk about that here very shortly. So cleaned everything up. House smelled like a brewery. All was good. 24 hours later, fermentation started with a very thin Krausen. So I knew it was going to ferment, but I thought, okay, this might have to sit a little longer than I'm planning, but it still should be done in plenty of time for the beer trade. I wanted to make sure it was done after after my parents. Well, not too much. If it was going to end quick, hopefully not too much before my parents left so it wasn't sitting on the yeast too long and hopefully not too much longer after that because we start cutting into the time i need to bottle and label and get these beers to the trade but if that's like okay signs of life we'll be good we'll get through this if i had to end up throwing some kvike in at the very end fine but i it didn't have to in fact let's get right to the start that the part that like this was for as everything as perfect as everything went for brew day 36 hours later this yeast that I was actually kind of questioning how fast it was going to work exploded. And I mean, there was liquid and Krausen everywhere that next morning. It was every, I don't know how much more to explain than everywhere. It was on the inside of the door. It was all over the bottom of it. It was on the sides. It, 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 it was whatever pressure built up in there from the, apparently it got into the airlock, clogged up the airlock and blew, blew that thing, the airlock and the stopper off of the fermenter because there is a, not an impact dent, but an impact splash of where the liquid, which was now full of beer, the airlock now full of beer, hit the top of the refrigerator, sprayed, and then the stopper and the airlock fell to the fell to the ground or to the bottom of the fridge. How how it didn't crack it? It's just a plastic airlock. How it didn't crack it is actually pretty surprising. There was just thick, dark, sticky, spicy smelling Krausen and beer everywhere. It was it was just I. It was so it was so messy. It was the biggest mess. It is literally. With, it's not even close to second. It is literally the biggest mess I've ever made fermenting. It just exploded. It just went insane. So that yeast was definitely viable. <laughs> what else to say? So all, all I could do now is clean up, and I mixed up about a gallon of sanitizing liquid because that's what I wanted to wipe the the uh, outside of the carboy with so I didn't get any any kind of bacteria on or whatnot that could that i don't know how it would seep in but i just want to clean it with with sanitized water clean that up 
went in with a, a roll of paper towels and sopped up everything I possibly could, got a spray bottle. I have a, I have an odorless um, spray cleaner. I sprayed that after that, wiped that all down. Then I sprayed the entire refrigerator or fermentation refrigerator with um, uh, sanitizer, just every nook and cranny before it dried. Because if that stuff, if I hadn't seen, if I would have gone out to like breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my parents that day and not seen that till the next morning, that stuff would have started to dry and it would be, I'd be there with a hammer and chisel trying to get it off. It was so crazy. <laughs> and then I, of course, put a clean and sanitized stopper and airlock on it. And 12, 12 hours later, I had to change the airlock again because it started to seep up. Um, it's easy to I mean, the obvious thing here to say is you should have put a blow-off tube on. I don't think a blow-off tube would have done squat. I, I don't, that thing was, I've never seen that strain of yeast do that before. I don't think a blow-off tube would have really stopped that. It would have maybe contained a little more. It may not have got to the point of exploding, but I think that Krausen would have pushed that out too. So I don't think there's anything I could have done. Um, I, I could have contained it better, but I think in the end, I would have had a spill either way. Crazy. I've never seen that happening happen before, and I, I hope I never see that happen again. So, um, let's talk about some numbers here. So, starting gravity, which I should have put this up in the, the brew day. Well, we're still on brew day. I'm talking about fermenting, but I'm kind of all over here. This is the entire beer process making part of the show. Uh, starting gravity is 1074. Pretty hefty beer. Attenuated to... Uh, 1008 in 10 days and then i let it go for another two days didn't change stayed at 208 so i was fermenting at 65 i turned it up to 64 for a dacetyl rest i ended up using that uh dacetyl rest running that for four days that's how long my parents were here it was perfect because then the next day i could mess with it and although i did use aldc i should mention i did use i didn't have that in my notes but i used aldc to ward off dacetyl but i had the time 67 degrees was not going to hurt this in fact it might have attenuated a little lower um, I don't know if that would help or hurt the beer, but if, if it's going to do anything, maybe two points. I don't think it did in the end. In fact, it didn't. I see in my notes here. So, the you know, docile rest didn't didn't drop to gravity at all. It's it held at 10, 10.08. In the end, it's an eight point six six percent beer. So fairly hefty beer. I mean, it's not a strong strong super strong beer, but it's got some it's got a little kick to it. And with it being so spicy sweet, or should be at least. That's what the other versions have been. It can get out of hand pretty quick, like in a good way or a bad way, depending on where you are, what you're doing. So after that, I cold crashed it for four days. Then I kegged it. Then I ran it through the Blickman quick carb. I tried to get up to about 2.8 volumes of CO2. I'm going to, and, um, and have, I was going to, the plan, the plan was, and the plan is, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, to counter pressure fill bottles. So I wasn't really worried about carbonation loss. Usually if I'm going to can it, I'll go, anywhere from 0.2 to 0.4 past my target to make up for the carbonation loss. But with this new counter pressure bottle filler I have, that's not been an issue. So, which I did, I did bottle it and I bottled it because I wanted to get as much as I could out of this uh, one for the club and two for something else that we do every Christmas. I want to have extra bottles of this and I do get a much larger volume I mean, not much more. I get a considerable, definitely considerable amount of volume of bottles as I do cans. Cans just, the first one always overflows. Like it's, it's half foam and you got to pump that foam out. And then the, the more, the lower the keg gets, the more pressure that's put on top of it, the foamier it gets. So you got a sweet spot of about 10 to 12 beers where everything's perfectly filled with cans. And then you start getting foam overs and you lose a couple of cans in the end. 
So that's it. Um, that is the beer. I did talk about the name and the label. I do say I have a note here of what to talk about that, but I did. But just as a reminder, again, um, Krampus Wardenspiel. It's his name, Krampus pregame. And it's a great picture of Krampus on a, on a log in a snowy, snowy forest. Lini's got his elbows on his knees. I should have mentioned that. He's got both hands around his his beer, which is kind of looks like a, it looks like a, a squatty Pilsner glass. I didn't, I, I, I kind of like that. It's not long and tall, but it's like wide and, and uh, robust. Like the, I guess a pregame for Krampus would be. So um, yeah, those are the details. So now we got to get the tasting and I got to tell you how this turned out. So for the first time this episode, you're going to hear a little bit of a drum beat while I go pour myself a glass, take a picture and come back and tell you how this beer turned out. It is tasting time for this year's holiday ale, the Krampus Vordemspiel, which I'm sure I did not say correctly. So let's get into it. Look at the color first. In a full glass, it is black. And that is exactly one of the two things I wanted on this. I wanted a black color. Now you hold it up to a light, directly to a light, and you get some rich ruby and garnet highlights. But the in the midst of the glass, at the thickest part, in this case, I have it in a tulip glass, which I always use for my tastings and my photos which i'm sure you've seen on the cover art right in the widest part of that glass it is pitch black so that is what i wanted for the color for the head it fell really quick i don't think i even my first photo i take like i don't know 20 photos maybe more i don't even think the very first photo caught the head because it just it had a very small head on pour it fell it it's holding still holding a very tight collar of very fine to medium bubbles. And there is a very distinct dusting of fine bubbles across the top. It's taking up at least 60% of the top of it. So it's got the carbonation and it's got some of the elements of a head, but it just never holds a head. And that might be from the spices, although I don't think we extract all that much oil from it. Could be from the fresh orange peel, which there is a lot of oil in that. I'm not sure, but it's. I never expect a head from this one uh, just from past iterations of it. That's never been its key feature but let's go to aroma distinctly spice i get sweet notes of malt some clove and cinnamon definitely some brightness of the orange zest which is really nice as far as malt character just kind of a general sweet malt there's a little bit of caramel sweetness to it like a dark caramel not quite burnt but more of a a rich caramel, not quite toffee. It's like bordering just before that. But the spices are the are the main star of this, which is always astounding considering how very little I use in this every year. Seems actually get stronger somehow. Um, I guess we go to taste now. Let's let's check this out. So right up on the taste again, much like its last versions, it tastes like a Christmas cookie, like a like a um, the spices in an oatmeal raisin or maybe even a snickerdoodle type cookie it tastes very much like a christmas baked good and that's what i always love about this beer there does seem to be something missing from last year and something missing that i wanted to come out this year and i'm going to taste again to verify that yeah i think both both elements um two elements are missing from the past version doesn't have that that kind of baked um uh, i've been saying baked goods but that kind of like that that 
I don't know. What, I don't even know what you'd call it. When you get a cookie, I, I know I say this every year when I talk about this beer. When you get a cookie and that outside bottom of the ring of the cookie is a little darker than the rest of it, even when you, depending, no matter how long you cook it, the outside is always a little more, it's a little darker than the rest of the cookie and that has a, a stronger baked taste than the rest of the cookie. Brown malt has always added that to this beer and I didn't include brown malt this year and it is missing from this version of the beer this year that that kind of fresh out of the oven baked cookie and it's always it's 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 cookie too it's never cracker it's never cake it's that outside edge of a crispy cookie even when you have a soft cookie that outside edge has a little crispness to it that's what brown malt has always brought to this beer and i didn't include it and it's missing and that's actually kind of sad although the beer is still pretty good I was going to replace that with what I hope was a roasty note, something bordering towards coffee, but not quite there. That didn't come out either. And I was very reserved on the dark malts that I used in this for the, the taste, for the coloring, for the Carafa 3 in the late, late in the um, uh, mashing. That I, I wasn't quite reserved because I knew that would bring a lot of color, but not a lot of flavor. But I was very reserved on the roasted malts that I used in this, and I probably should have thrown some more in and maybe even mixed it in with that... Uh, with that brown malt to get a really unique taste, but I didn't. And well, I know what to change next time I do this, but let's see what else we got now that it's sat here and opened up a little bit. It's still very nice. It's funny. It, Cause I know it's basically an amber ale with late mash additions to make it look black. I still taste the amber ale elements of it. A little bit of sweetness, a little bit, just a little touch of bitter in the background. Not much. And then just spices all the way through all that. I'm going to be curious to see what my club members, how they describe this. Because I didn't tell them anything about this. And it just says dark ale on the label. And I think a couple people are probably going to mistake, in that, uh, mistake that for a Belgian dark ale, even though it doesn't say Belgian. I didn't know what else to call it. So um, when the comments start coming in, that's when I'll explain what this is. But I'm, I want to see what an unbiased opinion someone that doesn't have any idea what the recipe is or what it's based on what they get out of this beer so i'm gonna have one more to wrap up here i mean besides that i really like it what i'm really looking forward to doing with this is i have, I have quite a few bottles left over in fact i still have some in the keg and there's something we've done well we started last year we're going to continue this year we hot poke our beers there's this i think it's a german tradition i'm not even entirely sure where you stick a kind of just a metal rod, a steel rod with a kind of a ball on the end. In our case, ours is like a half, it's more like a bell shape. Stick it in the fire, let it go get red hot, stick it in a beer, and it evaporates all the water and recaramelizes a lot of the beer elements in there, but doesn't make the beer hot. It does raise the temperature, but it never makes it hot. It doesn't turn it in like a hot cocoa or tea. It's very interesting what it does to some beers. In most cases, in malt-rich beers, it improves them dramatically, but not always. Always sometimes there's a they take a weird turn. I'm curious what this one will do because most of the malts in this are caramel malts for the flavor, but then all the dark malts are the it comes from the roasted malts in the Craft 3 edition. So we have we're, we're planning, we got I have quite a few already pre-bottled. We got at least two, possibly three nights planned over the holidays to do this so i'm gonna make sure i have enough for everyone to try so i'll be trying this soon i'm curious what that is going to do to this beer so that's coming soon at least i don't know if we're gonna do any kind of episode on it maybe two girls actually i think two girls one brew is going to do an episode on that so you'll hear about it 
there if you listen to that. If not, you should. That's on neozaz.com and bigmonster.com as well. All right, that is it. Um, yeah, different episode. I'm going to probably do more of these. There's just going to be days where I cannot record while I'm brewing, but I've done something new, and I have the notes and the stories to tell, so I will probably continue to do that in the future. It's not going to be every episode. This is not where the show is headed. It's just another way to add episodes to the series when I have something new to share, but just don't have the usual recording. I'm going to do it this way. So they'll probably be a little shorter, a little succinct or uh, straight to the point, I should say, and then into the, the tastings. But still, I mean, as long as I can keep this feed going and get some content out there, I, I that's, that's really my goal for this year. And it was my goal when I brought this show back yet again. So uh, I hope to do that by doing this new format now and again. Again, not all the time, just sometimes. And that probably will do it for me for the holidays, at least any holiday-themed beer. So let me say happy holidays, everybody. Although I think I will have my Wolfman Mead done this year to talk about by the time the before we hit the end of the calendar year. So we will have another holiday-themed beer. It's just a holiday from months past. So there'll be more episodes to come. But this is the only thing I've had for the holidays. This is the only thing I've brewed. This is the only thing I had planned not saying an unplanned thing won't happen or can happen, but this is all I know that's going to happen. So I'm taking this opportunity to say happy holidays. Be safe. I don't know if that sounds weird coming from a show that promotes making your own beer, but regardless of how you get your alcohol, I think it's just a just a, a good thing to be safe regardless. I mean, keep yourself safe to enjoy another day of brewing and enjoy another day of drinking that brew. So that's all I want to say. I'm not going to get on any kind of soapbox on this, I think. Anyone listening to this is knows exactly what the difference is between being safe and not being safe. So that's it. All right, one more time. Happy holidays, and I will see you in that next episode.